Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Uh, happy weekend, everybody. I am. We're going to be talking about... Um, my title for the show was um, Credit and Other Notable Issues with Peter Mullen, who's my special guest this morning. He's with the American Consumer Credit Counseling Organization. They are credit counseling professionals. Uh, I've had Peter on the show before. I thought we had a great show. And actually, I don't know if I ever uh, chatted with you afterwards, but that show was one of our most replayed um, on our podcast. Um, so we re we aired that one a few times and, and mm. there was a lot of uh, plays on our podcast as well. So obviously people are in, uh, interested in this information. And so I'm glad that you offered your expertise and your time again. Um, and on that note, if anyone uh, ever misses a show, you can always listen to the shows on our podcast, which is McNamara on Money. And you can just search that on your podcast app. And those are generally speaking available like the Monday or Tuesday after we air the show on the weekend. So um Happy to be here, everybody. 781-837-4900 is the call-in number in Marshfield. And you can always email questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com. So, Peter, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. I would it's great love to be here. That's great. And we did the show, I want to say it was like last year last year sometime. It was about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. So this is great and timely again. And like I said, obviously, people are um, interested in this information. So... Um, do you mind giving us a little bit of a background about um, maybe you personally and your organization in general? Sure, that'd be great. Um, for me personally, some people may know me from the town. Uh, I don't know if it's good or positive, uh -oh. positive or not <laughs> positive, but I was a selectman here in the town. I used to live here for 35 years, and from 2000 to 2003, I was a selectman. My colleagues were Jim Fitzgerald and Mike Maresco. Oh, yeah who've since gone on to other things. We all have, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Mike Moresco didn't go too far. No, Mike, Mike kind of went off, and now he's wait, back neither, in a wait, new role. Neither did Jim Fitzgerald. He's, he's, They're all he's still back local. Back at it, and then, yeah. But I unfortunately, did, not unfortunately, but I went back to Quincy where I grew up, so I'm kind of back to where I started. Yep. But I currently work at, and I really love it, I'm at another nonprofit. It's my second nonprofit since I'm, I left the big, big uh, corporate world of State Street, uh, which a lot of folks know. Mm -hmm. I was there for many years. But I have to say, my little standard line is I, I make about one-third of what I made, but I'm three times as happy. Um, so I have yeah. the wonderful role 
now are providing free financial literacy all over Massachusetts. They provided me a little car. I go zipping all over the place. And my mission is to go anywhere and everywhere people request uh, financial literacy. It includes counseling. So it could be libraries, schools, hospitals, shelters, prisons, uh, you name it, uh, senior centers. They say, hey, Peter, I heard you guys give free literacy. And I say, sure. When can I come down? That's it. Yeah. Watch it. And you've been with them a few years? I've been with them about a year and a half now. Yeah, yeah. But in prior to that, I was with two years with another nonprofit in which I was uh, helping people to buy their first house. It was called a first time home buying program. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I, well, I think this is great. We, you know, we here and there will get calls into the office for people that um, don't necessarily, aren't necessarily looking for our services, but they're just looking to for us to point them in the right direction. Sometimes people have, you know, I have this debt, I'm interested in consolidation sure. or, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, point me in the right direction. I don't know who to trust. I don't know where exactly. to go. So it's mm-hmm. nice to um, know someone trustworthy and in, in, a, in a trustworthy organization yeah, to be able to you. point them to. So. So that's great. So um, we could take this show in any direction. Let's just let's just see where we go. I thought sure. obviously we could start with on the topic of credit and credit scores and mm-hmm. why it's important and what aspects of your life it impacts and okay. how you build credit and what what things you do that that hurt your credit, <laughs> um, monitoring credit and all and all sorts of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, bef- kind of before we get started on that, I wanted to thank you on the air for also volunteering your time for our Smart with Money Fair. Yes. which is coming mm-hmm. up and mm-hmm. um, that we do for the Marshfield High School seniors. And we've done that for seven years. And it's, uh, again, just so personally rewarding. Mm-hmm. You know, you're personally rewarded in your life every day. And this is something that I can do and volunteer my time. And uh, it feels great to do that. So um, Peter did it for us last year and he's going to be there again. And we're restructuring it a little bit this year, but um, so that we're going to have some morning classroom style sessions at the beginning of the fair. And Peter's going to be running the one on credit. So uh, perfectly appropriate. And I'm going to be running the one on retirement and investing. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you again for that. Appreciate that. That'll be sure. really fun. Mm-hmm. I love it. It was a lot of fun. It was. Um, all right. So let's. Sh- where do you want to start? I know you do a lot of educational yeah. events and stuff like that. Where do you start when it comes to the topic of credit? Well, credit I guess scores? where I would normally start is maybe just kind of giving people a little bit of a heads up that um, credit is a very, very big topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, many times people say, you know, when I go out to do relationships with people and partnerships with organizations, they say, well, how much time do you need? Well, <laughs> the reality is I could take a day or two yeah. days to talk about credit. There's so much to it. But um, so I would say the top things that come to the top is number one, just really beginning to understand kind of the way it works and understand why it's so important. And uh, then kind of following that, I like to tie in there really a lot of things about myths, for instance, might be a good way to start because a lot of people just have a lot of misunderstandings of credit. And a lot of that is on purpose, by the way. If I can point to some commercials and oh, some things no. where I, my belief, and I'm, you know, my belief in this industry now for two years is that th- there's some things in which they almost don't want you to know and to have misbeliefs. So I'd love to bust some of those myths. Love that. Unfortunately, in your industry and in mine, there are organizations that intentionally try to confuse yes. consumers. And I think that that's really Absolutely. unfortunate. I came across across one recently and on a different subject, but it's very, it's very angering when you stumble across something like that, because here we are trying to do the right thing and, you know, run ethical practices and, and, you know, just give people good information. And it's frustrating when you find something that's, uh, or someone else that's doing something differently. So I digress. No, that's anyway, true. Yeah. That's all true. Yeah. So um, maybe I would just start out with, uh, let's kind of build the case for having good credit. Yeah. Maybe that's a good way to start, and that can that can go various places. Uh, maybe a starting point is to be made. People know a lot of this. Some they may not know, but that is, it's much, much easier to destroy your credit, much quicker to destroy your credit than it is to build your credit. <laughs> um, yeah. There's things you can do uh, that you're being recorded. Anything that has to do with debt is what shows up on your credit report. Mm-hmm. And those include the basic, anything where you've borrowed money in some fashion, whether mm-hmm. it be credit cards, student loans, personal loans, um, mortgages, uh, even you know secured cards, which we can talk about. They're all mm-hmm. things that the industry 
industry, and really it's larger the three bureaus, which is uh, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. Yeah. They are the collectors of all the info okay. that you've ever done. Yeah. Good, bad, or ugly. They keep track of it all. They're like they're like super accountants. And from all that accounting of your life and what you've done, they issue a three-digit score. Okay. And that score has great implications, as a lot of people know, as to whether it's high, medium, or low, it has significant impacts on many other things in your life. Your ability to borrow money, rent an apartment, yes. things like that. Why do yes. we need three agencies, by the way, just to hold each other accountable? So, so, so. Because if there was one, you, you wouldn't know if you could trust them kind well, of thing. But you know, I, I actually kind of think that I don't know why we have three. I've looked at the history of this, and they've only been around for about 40 or 50 years. How they ever got in charge or put themselves uh, in charge, that's oh, a very okay. mysterious okay. thing. People just started to rely um, on the information probably. yeah, it all started, I think, in the 50s or 60s when the first like Playboy Club card or the Diners Club card came out. <laughs> and then we were off and running with credit cards. Mm. They were unregulated largely in the 60s. And then as we mm. got into 70s, these three bureaus somehow mysteriously, I don't know, appointed themselves or whatever. But bottom line is I think the only great side about having three is there's a little competition between the yeah, three. Yeah. Rather than only having one to pick from, you have three. And that causes, though, some confusion amongst people because, for instance, you may not get the exact same score. People right. say, well, you know, if I go to, like a lot of people use Credit Karma or other things that are, that are really are pulling from these bureaus. Yeah. And um, nobody has, which I which I remember I used to think this, has only one score. You have multiple scores according to which model you're pulling from. Yeah. And um, the many uh, uh, on many um, places like creditors, like, like a car place or like a bank or like a mortgage company, they decide which... Lent which uh, bureau they want to use. So therefore... Oh, they only pick one? They only pick oh, one. okay. And so therefore that, like just an example of where things get a little funky, um, people may know that on, on TV you've heard maybe about Experian's Boost. Experian is one of the three companies that is trying to help people out by continuing to put give you credit for things that aren't debt related. So in other words, if you've been paying your rent oh. on time, yeah. if you've been paying your gas bill for the last five years okay. without ever a break, they're trying to so-called increase your score a little bit on that, which yeah. is great. Yeah, because it they, builds a profile of you beyond just debt. That abs you yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what the whole point of the scores are is to, in a sense, it's like a, it's almost like a report card in the sense it tells you how good you're doing in regards to your responsibility toward debt. Do you yeah. pay it on time? Do you pay it responsibly? So they're in a sense extending that out to beyond debt to other things like other other things like like gas or something. That makes the, sense. Yeah. The problem with that, however, is it sounds great, but if you went to a car dealer, you went to Pete's car dealer to buy a car. They may not use Experian. They right. may draw from TransUnion, and TransUnion may have, or they may be picking from a conservative model. So when I go happily walking into TransUnion to buy my car, they tell me I have a score of, uh, you know, 700 when I just looked online and my other score said I had 750. Yeah. How is that possible? Right. It's because they use different models, and different it's very criteria. confusing. Yeah, and yeah. I just assumed most uh, organizations or banks or whatever issuing credit, I thought that they were like getting a blended average of the credit scores. No, they just no. pick one, whatever model they associate or whatever model they like better is what they're using. Exactly. Okay. And the main thing from a bank's perspective is they're looking to have one that's either rather liberal or kind of medium or very conservative. So to put it a very simple way, if you're going to get a mortgage from the ABC bank and they tend to be very risk adverse... They, they don't want to have yeah. anybody that might slightly, you know, stiff them with money or not pay back their bills. They're going to tend to downplay the the value of people's credit scores. Okay. They're going to say that you, you know, they're going to mark you, think of it like a teacher, they're going to mark you rather toughly. Yeah. And they're going to say, oh, you're, you know, you're a 700 and therefore we will, we will consider the fact that, you know, you aren't as great a credit risk as you think you are. Okay. Um, but this is where the consumers come into play. I, I say to folks in classes and so on, you know, 
go to a different mortgage broker, yeah, go to a different right, bank. Right. They, they all around, use yeah. different models. And you may find you go to a different bank and their terms are different. So right. by all means, don't just ever go to one. Always look at three to five okay. as a general rule. Okay. And on that subject, how people can still like once a year get a free credit report. Yes. And what is your recommended avenue for them doing it? Is it freecreditreport.com or, or something different? It, it, the the, the um, website is annualcreditreport.com. Annualcreditreport.com. And, okay. and make sure you type that in exactly because there are many people oh, yeah. looking to rip you off if you type in something different. It's oh, yeah. annualcreditreport.com. Okay. And each one of the bureaus, by law, mm-hmm. in Massachusetts have to provide you one free credit report per year. Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, uh, upon you simply going to their website and just checking the box, you can get a free credit report. Now, what we recommend is don't, you know, you can run them all three at once, but then you've used up your year's worth. Run it once a quarter or something. Yeah, yeah, run one in the spring, one in the fall, one in the, you know, the spring, whatever. And now you've got kind of an ongoing diet of seeing how you stand. The only downside that people all get, uh, don't like, is they don't provide a number. They provide a full report Uh, on you. Yeah. But they don't give the three-digit number Unless you pay for it. So it is Uh, free unless you want to pay for like 29 bucks to get the score. Okay. What, on that subject, is that how those credit reporting agencies receive their income? What's their compensation model? I'm sure they're not getting income through that. Yeah. They're getting income through all the creditors behind them. Pay for them to provide the scores to the underlying creditors. Got it. Okay. So all the banks and car dealerships and student loan, all the many people that lend them money pay a service to those those are bureaus. Okay. So annualcreditreport.com. Correct. Once, so you can get three free credit reports a year, essentially. One from each organization. Each one exactly. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, so in in my maybe simplistic mind on this subject, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your credit score is incredibly important. Yes. When you're taking out a mortgage or any looking to borrow mm-hmm. money of any sort. Yes. And I would and renting an apartment, yes. something like that. That's but w- where else does it? factor into someone's life beyond those things that I'm missing? Yeah. Is there a, anywhere else? That's a great question. Well, what what has seemed to evolve over the number of years has been that credit scores and reports are beginning to be a measure of you and your character yeah. and you and your reputation. So where it has evolved into other things beyond simply financial, as an example, and I think personally this is kind of illegal, but it's being done. Re- employers. I was going to say employment. Employment. Employers well, many times, unless you, you have to sign off though. Yeah. Somewhere on that form is a little, little baby, little box down the bottom that says, by checking this box, you agree to allow us to check your credit. So I can understand that in the financial services industry. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. a, that's been the case Absolutely. in our industry for, for forever probably. Correct. But in in other industries, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I can kind of yeah. see how you're like, really? Why why do people need to know that? Yeah. But in banking or financial services, I can certainly understand well, that. Let me let me give yeah. you just a couple odd ones and I found this out even trying to adopt a baby. Who would have thought? You, that's a measure of yeah. are you really yeah. a responsible, good person who does the right thing? Hmm, let's check their credit because that helps us. I'm just, they're speculating that your your past history of how you utilize money is a measure of your responsibility going forward. Now, to some degree, that's true. Yeah. But within the character space, within things like uh, your ability to get insurance. So it's a twofer. If you go to buy a house and you have great credit, that's good. The next thing you have to buy when you buy a house is insurance. Yeah. Insurance also checks your credit score. Life insurance? Yeah. Uh, no. The, oh, property, the insurance, and God, property, property insurance. Property Insurance. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And um, things like a buying, getting a U-Haul. I, you go to bring your kids really? out to get them into college and you want a U-Haul, they'll check your credit just to see, are you again, are you going to come back with You're going to come U-Haul? back with my truck, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you never know where it extends out to. I can kind of understand the adoption one, though, because they're, they may be trying to ensure that you can financially support a child. Could be. And if in the past you have had issues with paying back debt, then maybe that's an indication, but, I, but people change, of course. But yes. so I guess on that note, um, what are you do? I, I'm sure there's a lot of ways to build credit and improve it, but like, what are your top 
three or five or, you know, do you want to go over like what, if someone is listening that is working to build credit, has an established credit or has gone through something that, Mm -hmm. that has lowered their credit score, what are the things that they should focus on first in order to improve that number? Yeah. Well, there is kind of a top three. The, the, the number, if you already have some credit and you're already kind of moving ahead, you have some things, some loans out there. The number one way to improve your credit is simply paying your bills on time. Okay. That is the absolute heaviest. It takes about one third of your overall score. More than one third is made up of that factor alone. Paying like utility bills or your Everything. bill, your, your debt. Oh, all your debt bills. All your debt bills. Yeah. Okay. This is back to that thing I was mentioning earlier. <laughs> when you're paying your student, when you're paying your student loan debt, yep. your credit card debt, your personal loan, your, all the things that you've borrowed for, your okay. car, so your minimum, mortgage. So minimum debt payments, obviously. Pay, well, yeah. well, Pay pay more than minimum if possible, okay. but always pay on time. So mm-hmm. the number one rule is never, never be late. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bingo. So, you know, mark it on your calendar, put it in your phone, automatic deduction. Those are all great ways to ensure that you're paying on time. Okay. The number two one is uh, is really all about the ratio of how much debt you're carrying now. So right. the way that the bureaus look at all this is the the amount is simply they look at kind of a quick way to think about it is they look at the full amount of what you have available to you. Yeah. And people are familiar with like limits that you're giving on a credit card. Yeah. So to give like a quick example, um, let's just say you had two credit cards with a thousand dollar limit on each. You have a $2,000 limit in total. If you had $500 used on one of those cards and zero on the other, you're using 500 out of 2,000. Yeah. So the ratio is you're using 25%. Of your available credit. Of yeah. your available. So what the industry wants, this is their little standard. Again, they make all the rules, you know. Um, they want 30% usage or less. Zero is better, but 30% or less is what their standard is. And so the types of card, so the types of loans that play in there are like home equity lines of credit because there's a ceiling, and then and then and a, which is different from what you've borrowed. Mm-hmm. Credit cards, obviously, Absolutely. S- secured credit cards. Yes. Mm-hmm. What am I missing? Because like um, student loans is just the balance is what it is, yeah. right? Yeah, you have other loans like that are called installment loans. So okay. just to be clear on those two, the largest one that people use the most is often credit cards. That's what's called an unsecured debt. It's also called yeah. revolving debt because it goes up and down, up and down, and it's it's not secured by anything. Yeah. The other types of debt are generally called installment debt, which simply means you buy a car for $10,000, you pay $500 yeah. a month. It's a set payment every month. You pay it for the next four years, and then you pay it off. Right. You can do that with buying furniture. You can do that with buying you know, all kinds of services. Yeah. Um, you, you basically spread it out. Student loan debt is like that. An installment debt, okay. So installment is the other usually big one. Yeah. And um, and then mortgages is another type of installment debt. Okay. So you mentioned the first piece of advice is to pay your bills, pay your debt on time, pay your, make your debt payments on time. Correct. And you mentioned, I mentioned a minimum payment and you said minimum or an overpayment. Yes. Overpayment, an overpayment just increases your ability. It lowers your usage percentage, right? So that's, exactly. that's why that, that, yeah, you're yeah. eating into your principal yeah. more quickly. So if I've borrowed a thousand and I just pay 25 bucks on it, yeah. I'm not even on my first payment, it's 25 against it. But if you continue to carry the $975 over the next month, they've now right. added a lot of interest to it. Yeah. And if you continue to pay minimums, I, now I've done the math before. If you had a thousand dollar debt and just paid $25 minimums, it would take you about eight years to. Yeah. Pay that off at minimum. We're going to do that exercise with the high school kids exactly. for the money fair because what exactly. I'm going to show them is a minimum payment on a student loan and how many years you would carry that for and how old you would be. Yes. And then I'm going to give them, <laughs> you know, if you're if you're 25 and you're carrying a loan for 15 years, yes. you're 40, right? And and um, and then I'm going to give them options and talk about overpaying. So yes. it, you know, and and you know, when you're when you're a high school kid, you might not under you're going to see a bill and it's going to have your payment. Your your mind might not be well. I can pay more than that, Absolutely. right? And so we're going to talk about. Um, 
And we're going to talk about, you know, the how they would come up with a payment schedule and then how it, yes. you, you know, the larger your overpayment, the shorter amount of time you carry that debt. So. Correct. Correct. All right. Um, we're going to just take a quick break. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm chatting this morning about credit and other notable topics with Peter Mullen of the American Consumer Credit Counseling Organization. And we'll be right back. Good morning, everyone. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm talking this morning about credit scores and other notable financial issues. And my guest is Peter Mullen of the American Consumer Credit Counseling Organization. He's a credit counseling professional. I'm sorry, your exact title is Community Education Coordinator. That's so right. So thank you very much for being here. Uh, we're going to be working um, together soon on the Smart With Money Fair in Marshfield, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've had you on the show in the past, and I was saying it was a very well-received um, show and lots of replays on the podcast. So it's great. So thanks again. Okay, sure. Um, we have a, before we continue on building and what hurts credit scores, we have a caller. So we'll go to Tom from Kingston. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, everyone. Morning. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. What's going on? Um, Peter, I got a question about um, minimum payment. If you pay just a minimum payment, we'll say, for example, $87 mm-hmm. a month towards a credit bill. Yes. And your score is a certain number. If you pay more than the minimum, does that change the score at all? The, the only way that that would relate to changing the score is that you are eating into your principal. You are paying down the debt quicker. So in that sense, that according to how much more you put in, so you said 87 was your minimum. Correct. Rule number one, pay it on time. Right. Rule, rule number two right behind it is, Pay as much as you can because you're eating into the principal quicker, which means your debt is going down faster. And therefore, the ratio, when they look to do a ratio between what your limits are toward what you're actually utilizing, that 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 is lower. Does, does the answer matter if it's an installment loan versus a... What's the other Revolving. one? An unsecured? No, no. no? Okay. It, that doesn't apply to installment loans generally. Installment loans generally, like a car... As an example, usually it's five hundred dollars a month, it. and that's it. Okay, that's. I'm fair talking yeah, largely mainly yeah. about credit card unsecured okay. debt, okay. which is much more variable. Okay. Now, Peter, I try to be creative in helping people mm-hmm. uh, in the family with their credit score. I have a son that never had a credit card; he just had a debit card from the bank. And he says, "Dad, how do I get a credit card?" He's mm-hmm. always paid cash, or he's used a debit card. Yep. And he's in his uh, early forties. I can't imagine him going through life with just a debit card because you can't even rent a car without a credit card. That's correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think I'd try to be a little creative and see how it works. So uh, we have quite a few credit cards. So we decided to put him on as an authorized user. Okay. When we did that, his first of all, his credit card, credit card score went up. Mm-hmm. Yes. By he, him being an authorized user on our cards. Mm-hmm. Once that went up, he started getting offers in the mail. Mm-hmm. Is that something that someone can use in the real world, or is that being dangerous? No, you're, you're using a, a very one, one of the two advised ways for people to get right onto credit. So maybe I'll start with the first one that is usually recommended by everybody as a starting point. Okay. It's what's called getting a secured card. And what that is, is for most people, and this typically younger people, doesn't matter what your age is, but you know, for anyone that doesn't have credit, and by the way, you know, I, I think this is crazy. The credit industry considers you invisible if you don't have any credit history. I think it's a rather pejorative term. All but right. the way you can become uninvisible is a secured card is when you go to a participating bank, and not all banks offer this, but let's just say you have $500. You put the 500 in an account in that bank. So let's pretend mm-hmm. it's Citizens Bank, and they offer a secured card. They, you put the 500 in an account that just sits in the account, and then by virtue of that, they offer you a $500 a card, which is worth $500 up in its limit. Okay. And then from that point on, you treat it with respect like a credit card. So you, you, you buy a $100 pair of sneakers, pay it off that month. You buy yourself a tie, pay it off that month. Buy your mm-hmm. groceries, pay it off. It's that whole action of 
Borrowing short amounts, paying it off, borrowing, paying it off, is what is building your good, positive history. After you do that for approximately six months to a year, it depends on where you got the card from, they will, if upon you know, upon you showing a good record, translate that and move it into a real card. It's like a... Uh, it's like Pinocchio, you know, moving from, you know, a puppet to a real boy. Now you're going to okay. move to a yeah. real card. That makes sense. So but what we did is fine. So once he gets yes. his credit to a certain point, if we decide to take him off, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's going to affect his credit score. Yes. But at least he's established with a credit card. Yes. You, you've got him. whatever. Mm-hmm. You've launched him through, and so, yes, that brings up the second way, which is what you did, which is fine, which is getting a cosign. So somebody who, again, and it goes back to really knowing who you're working with, and now you, you, know, you know him, you trust him, he trusts you, you know him. So it, that's a good example where you would maybe do a cosign. Just everyone has to recognize the risks of cosigning. There's no risk on a secured card. But there is risk on a cosign that let's just say, you know, you put him in charge, let's pretend, of paying off the card. Sure. And he chose, for whatever reason, not to pay the bill and not to be late. Then you both feel the impact of the goods or the bads of -hmm. that card going up or down. That's the risk. And before I hang up, uh, I wanted to have you... Uh, talk a little bit about closing out credit cards. I've talked to a lot okay. of people that have three, four, five, mm-hmm. so many different cards, and they're saying that their financial advisors told them, oh, you don't need that many. All you need is one or two, and that's it. So what they do is they go out and they close the cards. And it's like, no, leave them fine. You know, maybe once every two months go buy some gasoline and pay it off at the end of the month, keep that online. But maybe you can give feedback as far as how many cards people should have or how they should close it out. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the listening audience will listen to what you have to say as a professional. Yes, thank you. Okay, well, thank, thank you. you. Tom. Thanks, Tom. Well, have a good one. Thank you. Yep, take you care. Bye. Yeah, that's a good question. You're raising a very good question, Tom, and one that a lot of people struggle with, an example, again, of where there's a lot of myths associated with, with credit. So if I can give kind of a quick example to answer your question, um, there's no reason why anyone should close a card that has a zero balance. Um, and you're right to keep a zero balance card quote alive. If you want to retain it with a zero balance, sometimes you do have to go out and buy, you know, a pencil or if it's Lowe's, go out and buy a screwdriver or whatever to keep it active once a year to show that you've used it. The terms really apply back to your credits credit uh, print, which, by the way, no one reads. That little box that on the bottom that says, I have read all the 18 pages of small print. I don't know of many people in all the classes I've done have ever read it, but in there somewhere says, if you don't use your card within a six-month or one-year period, we will close it. So the way to offset that is for you to like you said, keep it alive. Now, why is, why is that good to have a zero-balance card uh, that is kept alive? Two things. Number one, Another thing people don't often know, having an older card in your portfolio of cards is a benefit to you. Hmm. So if I have a card that's 10 years old and it has a zero balance, it's in my interest, it's in your interest to keep that card alive. Go out and buy a pack of gum. Go out and buy, it depends on what it is, a a tie. Go out and buy something, but keep it alive. Um, That's one thing. The second major reason why your score will go down if you close cards is because what I mentioned a little bit earlier, the second major way that you're evaluated about your credit capability is your ratio of debt used to debt limits. So by closing cards that have a zero balance, you're effectively closing off and reducing the limit part of what you have. So to give another quick example, if I have five cards that equal have $2,000 of limit on each, my total limit is $10,000. And if I'm using $1,000 of that 10, I'm using 10%, right? If everyone follows my quick math, I'm using 1,000 over 10,000. But if all of a sudden, five of those cards are never utilized and the creditors decide to close them, now my ratio has gone from 1,000 to over 5,000. I just went from 10% usage to 20% usage without me doing a thing. 
if they close three more of those cards through lack of use or I chose to close them, now I'm using 1,000 over 2,000. I've just moved to a 50% usage rate, and that's considered a negative. So, so it might. So, I understand that, but it might not. Like, if the card you're closing has a very small limit as compared to the yes. other cards you carry, then maybe there's not as an impact or much of an Absolutely. impact. Absolutely. The other, the only other reason I can think of for people to close cards that they're not using is annual fees. Absolutely. I mean, if it's a $200 annual fee and you're not mm-hmm. using it, then you know, again, weighing that yes. annual fee against how it will negatively affect your credit score, if at all, mm-hmm. you know, a discussion to be had. But mm-hmm. um, do you have any idea how many cards, you know, charge an annual fee versus not? Is it the majority that do charge an annual oh, fee? I, I, I don't know what the, yeah. the percentages or numbers are, but you're exactly right, Alyssa, which <coughs> is, yes, I, I guess the caveat on what I just said is you'd want to consider a couple other things in your determination, yeah. such as yeah. if they have an annual fee or not. Um, absolutely. I mean, I would suggest there's so much competition and there's so many to choose from, yeah. you as a consumer can absolutely find cards that have no annual fee. There's yeah. many out there. Okay, yeah. Absolutely. The only other thing I can think of is, and my husband has said this to me before, mm-hmm. is that he's the type of person that wants to, he pulls up our credit card activity mm-hmm. every morning. Yeah. And he wants to check it for fraudulent activity. And it's right. it's great. Thank goodness mm-hmm. that he does that because I, I don't spend the time doing that. And yeah. it's great that one of us does it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great habit for people to get in, if mm-hmm. not every day, every week or something. But, um, you know, the his, his point was, well, if we have seven cards and I have to log into seven different mm-hmm. websites every morning to check that, that just gets a little bit tedious. It does. Um, you know, so if you're willing to put the work in, then certainly can carrying that, you know, all those cards and mm-hmm. keeping your credit limit um, high is, is certainly great for your credit score. But well, well, here's another way I could just throw out, which uh, brings up this, uh, which is one other way to help offset that is to just have your credit report on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. And the ways to do that, I'll tell all everyone, is to make sure you go to annualcreditreport.com. And make sure that you have it not not free annual credit because there's all kinds of ripoffs mm. out there. It's annualcreditreport.com. Uh, the Consumer Protection Bureau has demanded within Massachusetts that the three bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, by law, have to provide provide everybody one free credit report per year. So you can kind of play the game by getting, let's just say, one of them in the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall, and anything that's ever happened to your your credit will be out there. Yeah. So yes, your your husband does it on a daily basis. I might say that's maybe a little, a little obsessive, a little, little over overkill, because um, you know. But he'll catch stuff. He will catch yeah. stuff. He'll yeah. catch it right away. But here's one other factoid just to know about yeah. that. The the liability you face with a credit card is maxed out at $50. The most you'll Say lose. Say that again. Oh. The most you could lose on a credit card. One, is, one card. Uh, one card is $50. That's I go out, someone takes your card, goes out to Bermuda for $3,000. You'll, you'll get whacked no more than 50 Annually? Or no, right total. then and there on that. On oh, that, on that one on fraudulent that, yeah, charge. One fraudulent okay, one, and then they close yeah. the card, and then yeah. So just or, just a yeah. note, and a note to consumers is this is different from an from an ATM card. Okay. The liability there is this is more tricky. I know we're not talking we're talking credit, but just to be aware on ATMs, if I lost my ATM card. If I don't report it within 48 hours, if I report it within 48 hours, my liability is 50. $50. If, $50. $50 if per I, occurrence? Yes. If I don't report it up to 60 days, my liability is 500 So therefore, you can, get, you can lose a lot more of your money. And if I do not report a lost card in two months, my liability is endless. They could wipe out my full account without any even the, if you the didn't, bank. Even if you didn't know about it? How do they know if you knew that it was lost? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, what if you never use your card and you just didn't know? Well, yeah, I don't know. All I'm saying is another example of you just being aware. Yeah. Of being aware of the usage, so you'd know it if you just checked your. Ch- so back to accounts that your yeah. husband is checking, I would add into the accounts that you should be looking at is your bank oh, statement or yeah. online. So yeah. once once a week or once a month, just check your checking account statement, and if you see all of a sudden five thousand dollars disappear, yeah. report that immediately. And therefore, your liability is held to fifty dollars. Do you know, like, what's like the statute of limitations on reporting a fraudulent 
fraudulent activity on your credit card? Like if you notice it a year from now? Yeah. Do you know what, or is it different for each card? I, I, I don't know what the yeah. statute of limitation, but it probably is different. It goes back to that 18 pages of small print again. Yeah. You'd want to know what the details of your card are. Yeah. And I know that very, very few people ever read it, but I will just oh, say yeah. one thing to the audiences, and that is this. If you ever do take the time to read the 18 pages of small print, you'd be surprised what you'll see in there. Really? Because by checking the box, you, you have agreed to quite a number of things really? that are not necessarily in your advantage. They're all in the credit card's advantage. Sure, yep. And uh, so an example being, pick one out, if you have a card that has um, point, you know, points and all these other credit miles and all these other things with it, by you being late, they, they reserve the right if you're late, certain lateness, we can we can rescind and cancel all your points without. Just wow, the, we reserve the right to do that. Wow, we reserve the right to double your interest. We reserve the right wow. to call your card immediately. Th- that's in their power to do it. I'm not saying they will. Yeah, they said the you've rules. Ag- yeah, you've agreed to it, and if they are in a not not so nice mood. They can do it because you signed off. One of the I was mentioning off air that I was looking at your uh, the ACCC's website, which is consumercredit.com, by the way, which is a great resource. We'll touch on that later in the show. Sure. Um, And you guys had some press releases and things, just like little um, educational type uh, blurbs about you know things that people should know. And I thought a lot of them were awesome. Okay. One of them was um, the pros and cons of cashback credit cards. Uh-huh. And I didn't read through the whole thing, but okay. I, it just struck mm-hmm. me as, oh yeah, that would be something that people would be interested in. And um, that's probably in there. Yeah. Well, what you're talking about yeah. right now is probably... A- absolutely. Is probably I mean, everything, it, don't forget, I mean, let's kind of pull the big picture once again. People sometimes forget. What are credit cards offering credit cards for? To make money. Right. And right. they want to make money one way or the other, mm-hmm. directly or indirectly. Okay. So therefore, that means that they will they will offer nice things to you, give you promotionals, zero percent up until this point. Um, you know, transfers, um, nice little things on this. In my day, when I was younger, it was always a toaster or something else. Well, now it's all kinds of points and yeah. you know credit miles. Yeah. But but at the same time, you know, the, it goes back to what we said about what really they're looking for on-time payments, a steady stream of money back to them, you paying both interest and principal back to them. Mm -hmm. So from their perspective, an ideal consumer from their perspective would be someone who does pay minimum, yeah, and therefore and they make a bunch stretches of out yeah. stretches out the payment back of that thousand dollars they borrowed. Absolutely, and then over the life, and it's just rough figures as I recall. It depends on the interest rate. If you just paid the minimum twenty five dollars on a thousand dollar credit card debt, you would roughly pay end up paying probably about sixteen or seventeen hundred dollars back yeah. in about eight years. Ugh. So therefore, think about it. You you went and bought that great yeah. TV on sale for a thousand. But if you only pay minimums, you effectively paid eighteen hundred dollars for yep. it. Yep. But people don't think that. They often think in the short term, oh, this is only twenty-five a month. Well, there's a much longer price. Do that the you're math. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why credit card companies will send applications to people who probably shouldn't have a credit card Absolutely. application because they're the more yeah. profitable client for the Absolutely. credit card company. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. But earlier, before our last break, we, you were talking about the three things that people can do to build mm-hmm. their credit. Right. One was to pay, make your debt payments on time. Mm-hmm. Another one was to keep your um, credit usage to 30% or less of your available credit. So yes. I think the easiest mm-hmm. way to understand that is if you have a credit card with a $15,000 limit, try mm-hmm. to carry a balance of 4500 I could do a $10,000 <laughs> limit. That's easier math. Do if that. you have a credit card with a $10,000 limit, um, it would be three thousand. Try less. to use th- keep the balance to three thousand or less. Correct. Or if you have a home equity line with a hundred thousand dollar limit, yes. try to keep the balance to thirty thousand dollars or less. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the third thing? The third one is what I referred to before, which is the aging uh, of your account. So therefore, if someone is brand new and just getting a bunch of credit cards, they're a year old. Uh, you know, I'm just getting them now. Oh, that, okay. that, that that's not that great in the credit world. Yeah, it's when you have one that's seasoned 
three, four, five, six years old um, that you continue to keep. That that yeah, for whatever that. reason gives you points in the whole world. Okay, and that's important to keep it. And um, so that that's great. And I guess the last one I said there's three. Those are the three main ones. But the fourth one would be a mix of debt. And what that simply means is credit cards is often the most the largest piece of people's credit uh, of what they use, and that's yeah. what's called unsecured debt. Or, 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 or um, and but other ones like installment debt. Yeah, so like having car a sli- yeah, so having yeah. a slight mix is kind of what the, you know, I didn't make the rules. The credit companies made up these rules, and then I again I ask who put them in charge. We don't know. <laughs> Bottom line is they're the ones like the golden rule. They say hmm. those with the gold make the rules, um, and so they have simply said that yes, having a mix of credit is good too. Secured cards, a couple installment, maybe okay. maybe having a car loan. Okay. And so time is your friend when it comes to building credit as yes. long as you're doing responsible yes. things Absolutely. with that time. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, all right. Let's spend a few minutes before our next break talking about what hurts your credit and okay. like the top, do you have like the top three things to avoid when it comes to uh, yeah. uh, actions related to your credit score? Yes. I mean, some of them are just pretty much the opposites of <laughs> what we just talked about. Don't not pay your debt. Yeah, so okay. yeah, one one of the things that people do a lot is they they just don't pay on time and they and they they forget about it. They they don't have an automatic payment. They play games of trying to uh, time the payment so they send it in via the mail maybe a day before. Yeah. But you know they, they're very technical. It's like it has to hit like five o'clock on the day that it's due. And if it comes in at five oh seven, you know they'll they'll mark that late. Yeah. And um, you know, so lateness is is very important. Okay. Overall, um, the the credit that you keep, uh, you know, um, in terms of uh, the amount of u- usage, again, if that begins to be uh, always kept up, and again, going back to usage, it's it's not just a one time blip that will hurt you. It's really the longer term if you kind of okay. average it out a bit. So the way that the credit cards look at this the most is how have you been doing on average over the last few years? Debt, uh, all the items on your credit report stay there for seven years. Okay. Okay. That's how much is recorded and shows there and affects your score. However, the biggest bang for the buck is what has occurred in the last two years. Okay. So good or bad. Try to keep, you know, if you've had bad credit, try to do more good things over the last two years. Yeah, that's encouraging. And you'll see it going up. That's encouraging. And for it works the other way. If you of, yeah. if you've had good credit, but then you kind of go off the reservation for the last year or so, <laughs> yeah. then 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 they will look at the last two years as kind of the marker of kind of where you're heading okay. and where you're at. Okay. Anything else on that note? Um, I would just say the other big thing to be cautious of for folks is, and this is being used more and more, there's bankruptcies. Yeah. People have used bankruptcies a lot. There's two main types that are out there. People may know there's Chapter 7 and Chapter 13. Uh, just quickly stating what they are is when you do a Chapter 13, you you have all kinds of debt, and you basically work. It's called a like a worker's way of um, of resolving your debt. The the courts get involved. And they work out a way for you to pay your debt down in three to five years between all your creditors. In that process, they may reduce some debt, eliminate some debt. So you basically come out with a payment plan on a 13. A chapter seven is when you basically liquidate everything. The judge lets you basically start almost from scratch. Nobody gets anything. All your creditors are not too happy with you because yeah. you've basically found a method to go out the back door and leave a lot of your creditors with little or nothing, maybe 10 cents on the dollar or a penny on the dollar. And for that move that you've just made, you're pen- you are hit. penalized on the credit report and that lasts for 10 or more years as a, as a sense, as a stain on your credit that you know, um, oh well, that Peter. Well, he 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 had a Chapter Seven uh, bankruptcy. My likelihood to go out next well, week. Yeah, and why, why would a money lend, why would a is, lender want to lend money to that right, person exactly. again? Yeah, because it's not understand. uncommon for yeah. someone to go and file bankruptcy again. Really, believe it or not, they will. I think eight years pass, 
and I can do it that's again. That's the statistic, really. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, I mean, that's I'm the ab- law. I'm eight able, to, oh, I'm able okay. to go and do it another time. If if eight years pass and I start building up debt again, I'm able to f- technically go and so, file again. So chapter 13, the one that's like the payment plan, and yes. the, the, you know, that maybe some of your interest rates are worked down, or there's some negotiation Correct. going on there, exactly. but at least the debt is, for the most part, paid back. And so that one hurts your credit, but not nearly as significantly. Exactly. Correct, yeah. Exactly. I, I always got those two confused. I knew that. I knew basically what they were, but I can't remember which number yeah. is mm-hmm. which number is which. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I just had a we have a take a break here in a minute, but I just had a thought like, with our caller Tom that called mm-hmm. earlier. Um, he was mentioning that his son had always used a debit card, yes, and you know paid cash for things and mm-hmm. had never used a credit card, and mm-hmm. you know I, on one hand that is such responsible behavior. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was, he never had to borrow money from anyone. He never took on any debt. He paid, mm-hmm. he only bought what he can afford. So in, in one respect, that's, well, in many respects, that's yes. incredibly responsible and respectable and, um, which is great. But then, you know, then the problem is he goes to apply for a mortgage or, or take out a car loan and he's invisible, as you said, I and know. he can't do it because he has no credit. Does he have no credit score in that situation? If he had never borrowed money from anywhere. In that example here, there, he would be invisible. He would have no credit to prove from. And yes, he would be penalized if he ever then went to seek credit. So his his, uh, his, his options are to try and get a secured card or try to start to build from scratch and move up. But you're right that there's a great degree, and I hate to be paranoid or, or whatever, but there's a great degree to which this credit whole world is somewhat of a racket. Yeah. Don't forget that there's huge, huge moneyed interests that would love people to all take out credit cards. As right. a matter of fact, a common practice that is done is to give out credit cards to kids in college. Yeah. Give them out. I know. Thus getting them, if you want to think of it as a drug for a Like second, we said earlier. Thus like getting them hooked. Those are the people that, yeah, probably shouldn't have them. No. I know. It's hard because by and large, bar- buying something that you can't afford isn't a great practice. If you don't have the money yet not. to buy it, maybe you shouldn't buy it. However, having said that, you know, with real estate prices and stuff where we live, it's almost inevitable that you have to borrow at least for a home and you know, cars and things like that. So I totally get it, but there's just a little bit of a disconnect in the world of being responsible and building credit, Correct. but being responsible and not borrowing money for something yes. that you, you really can't afford yet, which is essentially the nature of credit. But yes. um, all right, we are taking a quick break. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm talking with Peter Mullen of the American Consumer Credit Counseling Organization. We're talking about credit and other notable issues today. Uh, 781 837 to join us on air. We're taking a break. We'll be right back. 